0: Inspired Execution is a podcast where tech leaders from global enterprises discuss their journey to scaling billion-dollar businesses. Chet Kapoor is chairman and CEO of DataStax, with more than 20 years of experience working with global enterprises. Join us to hear about the experiences and mentors that played a role in their growth. As CTO of Nordstrom, Edmund Mesrobian leads digital strategy and customer engagement efforts, which means that he's at the forefront of delivering outstanding customer experiences to millions of visitors each and every day. In this episode, Edmund talks about being relevant in the moment, enabling rich and diverse experiences, and how to become embedded in a culture. What does it mean to be a change agent? Learn about the customer's journey that Edmund is bringing into Nordstrom, such as customer fulfillment and contactless technologies, which are now critical during the pandemic.
1: Hey, Edmund. Edmund. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate you making the time. Uh, thank you, Chad. Great to be here and uh, always fun chatting with you. We've known each other for a long time, working at, uh, together at Expedia, at Apogee, as well as um, your tenure at, at Tesco. And now at Nordstrom's, you're the CTO and you're taking Nordstrom's digital strategy and Im- implementation to its next level. As you think about your journey, even predating Expedia and all the different things that, we've, that you've done, in your career, what has come easy to you? What's
2: come easy? That's a great question. I, I think what's come easy is being a teacher. I mean, I came from academia. The idea of teaching and helping a team is what it's all about. At the end of the day, in these kind of roles, to be a supportive agent, to be a teacher and a mentor, and that, that's just natural. And uh, the inquisitive part of an academic kind of background is that you're always trying to learn. You're always trying to figure out how to help, what the problem is, try to make sure and be challenging about the problem. So those, those kind of dimensions are easy and just natural and second nature.
1: As I think about my interactions, I think about the frame of teacher slash mentor, and it fits perfectly. Uh, what has been hard? You know, what's hard is
2: that in most companies and most of the journeys I've been on, there's an element of change. You act like a change agent. You come and you enter a conversation and at Expedia, it was about the transformation from a certain kind of travel company with a certain kind of agile development methodology that needed to evolve from a package software to an agile website, and then trying to bring it together across its branded properties. There was a lot of change there to think about becoming a platform company. Uh, at Tesco, the the change was about trying to go and reimagine what digital can be to the company as it started to try to get more uh, serious about the, its digital journey. But then you're you're bringing a whole new set of almost like Western culture, digital, agile development methodologies and technologies, and that that introduces change. And at Nordstrom, it's similar in some respects. You come in. And while they appreciate the digital journey they're on and very much engage with it, understanding what it really takes and the kind of change still required to unify the company. So I would say the common theme that is hard is that when you come as a change agent, every ounce of you has to be motivating and always in the moment trying to go and, and champion why uh, this change is needed and why there's value creation on the other end of it. And any
1: specific tips and tricks for those of us or younger versions of ourselves who are getting into positions where they're change agents that you would suggest or recommend?
2: I would say that the, the, the thing to keep in mind is to find allies. Spend some time really understanding the problem. You know, one of the things I have to remind myself and I keep on getting reminded is like, don't think you know the problem. Every situation has a dimension of uniqueness. So, and one of the Nordstrom cultural values is, you know, listen, understand the problem, understand the people get embedded in the culture, and then embark on the change with
1: partners. Having done this at Expedia, at Tesco, and now at Nordstrom's, you're, you've done it twice, you're doing the second time in retail, but it's digital transformations. Are there similarities independent of industries or geographies between the digital transformation journeys? As a, a dear
2: friend, Alan Kay, would say, the majority of computer science has been solved and the problems just get regurgitated and reformulated. There's very little new. you know. What's new is the context and the journey that it takes to get to the other end. And so the problems are very similar. I mean, most people think that there's so so much uniqueness, but at its core in retail, it's about supply and demand. It's about trying to figure out how to bring the most relevant product to your customers in a meaningful way to enable rich discovery experiences. That sounds similar. I can't imagine a retailer who isn't on the journey to provide personalized, rich experiences uh, to delight customers and to do so in an engaging way. And so to me, most of the transformations have that in common. How you go about it, what are the different uh, unique perspectives that you might have, uh, grocery versus apparel, there's differences of that sort. But I would say it's 80% the same and 20% different.
1: And how about the geographies? Do you think that, and, and obviously we're talking about two separate things versus, you know, groceries versus apparel, like you said, do buying habits also affect your, how you do your transformation?
2: Yeah, look, I would say it's interesting. I think it's, um, to think that it was unique about the Tesco experience, uh, at least for an American coming to work in London is, uh, and living in London and that is that in some ways, London, the great city it is, it actually had a lot of the, what we call today, unique value propositions that everyone seems to be racing to, curbside pickup, home delivery. Those have been done in the UK at Tesco for decades it's not new. Click and collect, shopping, scan as you shop, whether you use a mobile app or a specialized device, it's almost like they were farther ahead than the US. If you think about COVID, COVID has essentially accelerated US's journey to home delivery of grocery by half a decade. I think COVID just, you know, took the proposition from its nascency still to now where it, there's no turning back. So in some ways, the UK and Tesco and, and others were has solved a lot of those problems about store fulfillment and f- stores becoming big fulfillment centers. And so it's now caught up. It's almost that the U.S. is catching up to that level of transformation and possibility of having, you know, stores playing meaningful role in fulfillment. So that's one example. I, the other, I think, is just contactless and the embracing of contactless in the U.K. and, and you know, Europe and the rest of the world is so farther ahead than in the US, and now we're playing catch-up. So those are the two examples of customer journeys and experiences that were farther ahead in Asia and Europe than, say, in the US. But these are rapidly changing now
1: in the US. Thank you. That's a great perspective. What technologies are you super excited about nowadays?
2: Clearly, the evolution of cloud technologies and and different kinds of uh, computing models, they keep on evolving and they offer just a lot more flexibility so that you don't have to carry infrastructure with you. Uh, probably the biggest transformation is that the infrastructure required to really build something wonderful and world-class, it no longer requires you to be the infrastructure provider in, in every sense of it. There are advantages to having infrastructure in terms of the kind of, whether it's your own version of Cassandra on-prem versus the cloud, right? There's reasons why you'd want to have a mixture, uh hybrid and so on and so forth but more to the point a lot of those technologies are are quite now in the mix and in, in the large and you don't have to re you don't have to invent at that layer and you can put more of your fuel at inventing at the customer edge and i think that the biggest disruption that is happening is that if you think about analytics and how to embed analytics into an enterprise you know how to get an enterprise to be always receiving signals be able to transform those signals into into action the industry spent 20 years building major ecosystems so that we can measure KPIs and produce KPIs. The leaders and disruptors today are are have these these capabilities to actually generate predictions at low cost. And it's those predictions that drive interaction with customers, whether it's self-driving cars, whether it's algorithms for logistics, and so on and so forth. And I think it's like the new playing field is do you have the wherewithal to be in the prediction game? And leverage predictions to drive your end-to-end processes that drive your business. Those are the problems of today because they then
1: give you an amplification factor of how you can actually reach your customers. And the prediction part, you almost said. And let me see if I got this right: is like all the enabling technologies, whether it is database technologies, whether it's analytics, whether it's compute, whether it's you know whether it's storage and clouds. All of it comes down to, in your mind, of being able to do some predictive action as close to real-time as possible for the customer.
2: That's right. I mean, in some respects, if you think about KPIs were we're about reporting the news of the past or giving you some signal of the present, but every one of the kind of AI-driven or machine learning-driven kind of enterprises of today are very much about leveraging predictions, generating predictions, actuating those predictions, measuring the feedback, and then always in a continuous learning mode. And, you know, at Nordstrom, we're on, we've embarked, like many others, I'm sure, embarked on an event architecture for so real-time or near real-time streaming to be able to go and to collect those signals, transform them using rich AI models of different flavors, and then more, most importantly, not just stopping at that to then generate a report that someone else can then action, but actually putting them to work.
1: In near real time, because I'm a consumer, I'm on a Nordstrom app. How do you say Chess looking for shorts, but he would like to get a shirt as well because that's what he's done, or customers of similar pattern do the same thing, right? And that's what you're driving towards. That's right. It's contextual,
2: right? If you think about it, it's like being relevant in the moment. So that I need to be able to not just I need to be able to sense what you're doing now, but I need to be able to go and marry that with what you've done in the past and then formulate a prediction of what is the next best action to try to get you uh, in front of you. Uh, and whether that's on the website, in the app, on a call center call, in front of a sales colleague in the store, you want that same admin to show up there and that have every one of those uh, either systems or colleagues be able to go and leverage that prediction capability to then assist you. To, to provide service. And, you know, at Nordstrom, we have a rich history in service, and we are very much a service organization. And so being able to enable our team to do a much better job to delight you to, you know, as we like to say, help our customers feel good and, and look great, look their best.
1: It is obviously to be predictive and contextually, and you need the context to be predictive, but do it across multiple channels, whether it's on a phone or whether in the store, absolutely. And everything and all the innovation is about making that happen. For Nordstrom's, right? The trick and
2: the magic is not, you know, as many companies and you you get on this journey, you have to kind of break down this silo view. You know, in retail, you start with a history and most retailers have a very channel specific. You have a large format, small format, off price, full price, so on and so forth. And you design systems around those business models. And what you have to do is separate that the business models should be enabled by a common platform. And that that customer that navigates from a a rack store to a full price store or or vice versa is still the same customer. And what you want to be able to do is reason about them as the same person. That's what's hard. That 360 view of your customer, the 360 view of your products and the assortment you're offering at any edge in your network, at any part of your business model, and then be able to fulfill that equally uh, across any part of your network. That's what makes the problems interesting and have a, a sense of like challenge to them because it's non-trivial. And then the infrastructure and the solutions and all the technologies that have been developed over the, the years, how to bring them to bear to solve that problem is what makes
1: makes it fun. It is certainly an interesting environment with COVID. Has it affected the way you lead?
2: It would be hard to hard pressed to find anyone on this planet that hasn't been uh, impacted by COVID in some way. And papers are are full of uh, the impact of COVID on retail. So I think that's that's well-traveled ground. I will say, I think what COVID has, has done maybe, to put it succinctly, is that it's provided focus. When you're in a moment of, of unprecedented disruption, those kind of moments require focus of attention. You're not trying to solve 10 things, you're just trying to solve one. And you're also taking time horizons of like, okay, I have a five-year plan, a three-year plan. No, we have a three-week plan. Yeah. And and so I think what COVID has done is almost like focus of attention. It's just like narrowed the aperture to the moment, the now. And actually for the entire executive team and the company, so it's a lightning rod that has created a focused opportunity. And then if you then use that focused opportunity then you could figure out, okay, how do I use this to accelerate my transformation? How do I use this moment as an inflection point for positive,
1: you know, to turn a negative into a positive? And that's the journey we're on. You know, it's really interesting, Edmund, you say that, you know, we, we talked to 1,400 different enterprises recently. And uh, one of the questions was, what accelerates your transformation? And option A was CEO, option B was CTO slash chief digital officer or chief data officer and option C was covid and a majority of the people said covid right by a distance <laughs> that's right right yeah but it's because like look like the the reason for that is
2: if you think about pre covid world you're trying to optimize a number of problems a number of business units a number of challenges and your resources and your ability to go and affect uh, every one of those opportunities is constrained Everyone's constrained at some level. And so, but when you get COVID, what it makes you do is actually make tough choices. And choices are hard. It's easy to decide what to do. It's actually incredibly hard what to stop. And COVID has really helped us really figure out what to stop. Because once you do that, it's very apparent what needs to continue and accelerate.
1: It kind of does narrow the aperture, as you said. It's, uh, that's a great way to look at it. Um, shifting gears, if you go back in time uh, 15 years ago, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, gosh.
2: Uh, you know, I, I guess I would say first is make sure you're having fun and, and make sure that you're putting yourself in a challenging position, one that you can learn from. So solving the same problem over and over again. You know, you can do that. You can have a rich career doing that. That's why I went to different industries. I, I, I was in, at Disney. I was at Real Networks, at Expedia and Tesco. And, and every one of those had a unique problem. And it also had problems that had scale and depth to them. And so I would say, make sure that you pick a problem space that has depth, that has complexity, that has scale, and that you can learn in. Because if you do that, you will stay relevant and you'll have fun.
1: I've always had this thing that, you know, everything I do has to have three components, uh, smart people, solving hard problems, having fun, right? It seems like you're, you come from the similar school, right? Absolutely. Awesome. What inspires you?
2: What inspires me is just seeing teammates, teams succeed. When you set out a, on a challenging transformation, what inspires me is when people start coming together, that it starts to gel, that the momentum builds. You take a bunch of individuals and you create a team that really starts working well and just overcome something that they didn't think was possible, that didn't think was solvable. And when you can do that, you feel like, you know, you've made a difference. And so that's what inspires me is when I feel like I made a difference. I, I've helped someone get better, even if it was just a zero, zero point one percent I contributed. I just like the idea of helping advance a problem, advance a career advance an understanding and advance a company's uh, potential. That's what inspires me.
1: I, I know from our personal interaction, I've certainly seen you interact with all the teams that you have led, you know, exactly that way. And they certainly feel inspired by the fact that you're there to help them. And this is where some of your, I'm here to teach and I'm here to be a mentor shows up, right? Is that fair?
2: Absolutely. I can't imagine. I mean, I think we've spoken about this many times, Chad. When I retire, Uh, whenever that moment will will occur, I'll go back and teach if they'll have me. Because the idea of being around, uh, you know, I I will say kids, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but young young adults, young (laughs) minds that want to learn uh, and are eager to learn. That's just magic. Those are magic environments to me.
1: Edmund, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. I think our uh, listeners will find this to be extremely useful.
2: Well, thank you, Chef, for having me. Nothing but the best and look forward to seeing you soon. Take care. Take care.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode and can take away the three valuable lessons. Have fun. Put yourself in a challenging position and make sure that position is one you can solve problems in. In other words, pick a problem space that has depth, complexity, and scale so you can stay relevant and have fun. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Inspired Execution podcast, hosted by Chairman and CEO of Datastacks, Chet Kapoor. We have many more guests with phenomenal stories to come, so stay tuned. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the series to be notified when a new conversation is released. And feel free to drop us any questions or feedback at datastax.com.